Test Podcast featuring National Master James Canty III. Welcome to the 64 A Chess Podcast. I'm your host, David Visgon. I've started this podcast to tell chess stories from people of all different backgrounds around the world who have a love for the game. And I'm honored and privileged to have the legendary streamer, National Master James Canty III joining us today. Welcome Glad to the to podcast. Thanks, man. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So it's exciting. I always like to uh, give back and, you know, help podcasts, stuff like that, man. So I'm excited to be here, bro. And uh, just to give a little overview, uh, NM Canty is 28 years old. He reached the National Master title 11 years ago. So you're 17. Yep. You're currently grinding to become a Grandmaster. And I'm going to ask you about that shortly. Uh, I read an article about you from a couple of years ago that I thought was fascinating um, in the Victory Journal that talked about your, your journey in chess. So I think I just want to start with that. Uh, how were you introduced into chess? Uh, my dad taught me when I was eight years old. I remember I'm here in Michigan, from Detroit, Michigan. So my dad taught me when I was eight years old. It kept me off the streets of Detroit. And actually, you know, there's a lot of things that you can get into. There's a lot of friends that I have that are still doing the same things or not here anymore to say the least. So there's a lot of uh, things that you can get into in Detroit, Michigan that can be very bad. So my dad knew this ahead of time and it was just a way to play chess and bond with my dad. We also had a chess club here. So I would always go to the chess club on weekends and spend literally, you know, 12 noon to it closes at 8, 8 PM Eastern time, or at least when the mall closed, cause it used to be at the mall. Then after it moved to its own location, It'll be, you know, 12, one, one in an afternoon till one at night. I'll be there at the chess club hanging out. So my parents knew where I was at the time. And, you know, for me, it was fun. I just loved it, which it still is. I love the game. I love playing the game. And because of, because of that, that's why I'm still here. As soon as it becomes not fun anymore, that's when you want to, you know, look, uh, stop playing basically at that sense. But you know, my dad, uh, it was a way to bond with my dad, keep me off the streets of Detroit and getting in trouble and stuff. And uh, it was fun, man. And now, you know, we, we look up years later and the chess is life for me now. Yeah, I mean that's that's an incredible story. Um, does Detroit have a chess scene? Or Pretty good. Like yeah, they do. We have a nice chess scene. We have two chess stores. We have um, a lot of chess players. Uh, ben Feingold actually was here a long time ago. At one point, he's actually from Michigan. Ben Feingold was uh, the strongest international master at one point because he was uh, still working on GM. But I mean, he had everything he needed. He just needed kind of the rating but at one point he was just the strongest i am ever on the on the place of the earth so i remember watching him grow and out and you know i was like 2000 at the time maybe expert something like that i played him a few times lost of course and it's just like uh good good playing him but fine goes here the chess scene's big we have a scholastic chess this huge detroit city chess club ran by kevin fight here it's huge i mean a lot of pro not prodigies but a lot of players come out of there they are pretty good and it's just a thing for kids in scholastic chess to be able to do something and not be, you know, um, just get in trouble because you can definitely find a lot of trouble here. So they kept kids out of trouble and also helped them, you know, get into college and stuff like that as well. So big chess scene here, actually. I am the last master, uh, black master, actually, in the scholastic uh, chess scene since 2010. It was when I hit it. So the highest the come out of high school since 2010 was uh was me basically so no wow. one else has, has hit it somebody else hit expert i think which was pretty close but that's about it nobody else has topped it off usually they just kind of stop playing 
So um, I have another question for you, but before, so let's talk about the national master title. You got this title when you were 17, I think by winning the national scholastic championship. I won. Um, I actually won. Uh, I have a coach. May he rest in peace. Actually, he was a much older guy, but his name's Harold Steen, and he um he was oh, my first. Yeah, he was my first chess coach uh, for the school because he was like the school coach, the school coach or whatever, and teaching chess club. But we would compete nationally, and I couldn't go to my first national tournament because I wasn't good enough, basically. And uh, this other guy would always beat me and talk trash, and my dad didn't like that. So actually, after um, this had to be like fifth grade, and um, after school let out and I just couldn't go to the national championship because I wasn't as good, they can only take like five or six players and players that are actually good. So they took them, and my dad didn't like that. So we got up at like 7 in the morning once school was out, and we played till like noon every day. And then I came back and beat everybody except the coach the next semester. So, But he – um. Harold Steen was a, a very, very big, big influence on my chest. And he actually helped. Well, that's how I won. It was kind of like a big thing for me because he passed when I won this tournament. But I won it like two years in a row. It was the Harold Steen Memorial. And the second one was when I hit master. So I actually beat three players that were masters. And that set me over to master. And it was good to be able to, you know, win the Harold Steen Memorial, one of my first coaches, and get master in that tournament. That's beautiful. That's yeah. poetic almost. Yeah, exactly. The requirement for national master, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, 2200 United States Chess Federation rating, correct? That is correct. Yeah. Um, see, I actually, I played a tournament. That was the last over-the-board tournament I played because I'm trying to get my USCF rating up. And uh, I remember there was one person there who was like 21, 2150-ish and was trying to really push to that. And there was an like international master playing, a FIDE master playing. And I, I just remember like everybody was like watching those games because everybody right. knows like, you know, that's a huge accomplishment. Right. Um, exactly. So you hit national master at 17 and then uh, you're still national master 11 years later. So obviously you've had a very interesting career, uh, even beyond chess. You have a very interesting life story from what I've read. And this article is still you know, a couple of years old at this point. So, yeah. um, so I, you were in the air force for a while. Yeah, I was in the air force for a few years and then, um, I got out and once I got out honorable discharge, I went to Atlanta because I just didn't want to go back to Michigan. I was like, Oh, let's just explore. And like, you know, I'm close anyway. So, and I had friends there and a bunch of us kind of just went to Atlanta and just started living our lives. It was great. It was one of the greatest times, greatest times of my life, but there I wasn't playing as much chess because it wasn't money in it. And it's not, I wasn't like, you have to be either known or have students and like stuff like that. So a lot of people just stop playing because of the monetary part, which is very, very hard if you don't have sponsorships and stuff. So, and I'm like, well, I'm just, just going to chill. So I kind of didn't play any chess. And then I remember um, Frank Johnson, who's a chess coach net actually on a stone Twitch. One of my favorite streamers, my favorite streamer, actually, he didn't want to got me into streaming, which is crazy. If it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have never streamed anyway. But he, um, I've been knowing him like 12 years. And I remember when I was working down there in Atlanta, I saw him and I was talking to him. He was like, yo, man, you know, when you playing next? I'm like, I don't know, man. You know, it's whatever. Like, I don't know. And then he was like, yo, you know, they got this. Uh, this is 2014. He was like, yo, we got this millionaire chest this year. I'm like, what is that? He showed me the flyer. And it was like $20,000 for the under twenty three fifty prize. Um uh, or 40,000 was first and 20,000 was second for the under 2350 class prize in the open section. So I still had to play in the open section with the big boys, but the best person that do under 2350 will get 40,000 and the second place to get 20,000. And I'm like, that is crazy. I had like eight months. It was like in February. I remember 
and the, the tournament was in October or something. Um, so I remember I was like, wow, this is big boy money. Maybe I should, you know, then that really clicked. Like maybe I should keep playing now. Cause like, it was really nothing, you know, it was expensive and I wasn't getting many points and stuff is tough and like nobody's helping support, but I'm like, well, and tournaments aren't as big money wise. So that, um, when I saw that, I was like, wow, this might be a chance. So he gave me the flyer. And I remember I was like, well, if I'm gonna study up and go to this tournament, I need to, um, I need to first off, like be focused. So I had to sell my Xbox and my TV. I sold it because I would play 2k like four hours a day, at least, <laughs> at least four to five hours a day, sometimes all night playing 2k. So see if I didn't have work the next day. So was this a 2k 14 or 13? Or? This was 2k 14. Actually, I was real nice with 2k 14. The first, the uh, the first, uh, one with, uh, the real like voiceovers and the, my career, right. And stuff. Right. My career. Yeah, I was doing all of that. I was so nice with it. But I know I was spending so much time that I was like, yeah, I'm never going to like uh, get this money if I don't. So I sold it. It was tough. But at the same time, I was like, well, I need to buckle down. So then I started studying and I studied for seven months in a row every single day. Then I woke up in the morning, study when I went to work and then came back, got off work, study more and then go to sleep, wake up, repeat every day. Then I went down there in October and I was going into round eight or nine with like four points in the open section, which is no, it had to be, it was like two rounds left. So I had like four, four points going into the eighth round, which I could have finished with six in the open section, which is huge. So I was doing very, very good actually for me being, you know, underrated. So um, I remember uh, that they took me out because it was like, hey, you can play for norms or you can play for this money. And I'm like, I'm gonna play for the money. That's why I came. So they, uh, I was already guaranteed uh, $5,000 once I made it to that. So I was like, bet, I'm already guaranteed five, let's go. And then I remember um, if I would have won the whole thing, I would have won 40,000. And the most expensive game ever was, uh, I played the guy who won 40,000 and we ended up, you know, it was a two game match every game, every game. So you move up basically. So I won the first two matches, which now I was guaranteed like 10 K or something. Then I'm like, well, this place, and then the last game or the last match which is a two game match me against Cuba Wayne. And he, um, whoever wins that match is going to get 40 and the other one gets 20. So I, at that point I was guaranteed 20,000. I was hyped about that, but 40,000 is what I really wanted. And I remember, I still remember the move to this day. Most expensive move ever was like night H four. It was a $20,000 move. So if I would have played night H four, I would have won the game. My buddy actually called me on the phone. Like, yo bro, you could have played night H four instead of rook G one. And I went for this rook G one line. That was, um, I thought it would be good because it was a nasty checkmate in there. And I think, I actually have it on my YouTube channel. It's uh, my most expensive game ever. I think I calculated. I mean, I think I, um, yeah, I did. I know I went over that game, but it was um, most expensive game ever was uh, $20,000. And if I would have played Knight H4, he there was no way he could have stopped me playing Queen F6 and playing Queen G7. And I would have walked away with 40000 instead of twenty. But twenty was still a great payday. I spent a lot on um, business stuff and just like paying up bills and things like that. And then that was the start of it. I was like, uh, okay, well, I guess I'm back, you know, I'm back chess wise. So I went, then I went the next year. I also went to Arizona, did a little bit of chess over there. And then it finally, finally came back home to Michigan. And then I just started, you know, really started getting into chess more again. And that's around the time this had to be like 20. Uh, I didn't play many tournaments even then, but I tried to, I was studying a little bit and I was like on and off playing. And I was like 20, when I start streaming, 2017, 2017, 2018, that was where I was working this job that I really didn't like, but I was like, man, I really want to be in the chess. And I know people that are doing chess full time, but I just don't know what to do yet. So it was 2017. Then 2018 came around, still working the same job. And um, 
I saw Frank Johnson streaming and I was like, yo, you on like, what is this streaming thing? This was 2018. Saw him streaming. It had to be like six months before I even started streaming because I was just in his stream every night I was there. And then one day I talked to him for like two hours on Discord. Like, yo, bro, what is this? What's going on? He's like, yo, this is the new wave, blah, 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 this and that. This is good. And I'm like, yo, is it paying good? Like, how's it build money? But he's like, yeah, man, they pay and this and that. I'm like, wow. So let me let me like try it. Give it a shot. So I got the right equipment there. And then um, I remember I was like, yo, I'm so tired of this job. I'm about to just focus on streaming. So I started doing that. And then eventually I was making the same amount I was making in a week at my job. So I'm like, yo, I'm about to just quit and like be done. And if I focus more, I'll be making money this way. And then I started p- picking up lessons, picking up a lot of lessons from students all across the globe because I was streaming. I remember starting with 10 followers, 200 views on my channel. And I was just, you know, chilling. I remember reading stuff about streaming. Like if you want to stream, just stream. Just don't worry about the viewership. Just have a good time, blah, blah, blah. And that's what I started doing. And it just, you know, look up three years later and like, you know, we approaching 13,000 followers, I think. Yeah, now, I was going to say. Like that. Yeah, it's, it's getting up there, 13,000 followers. We, uh, I've been as high as uh, 680 subs. Um, which is my highest month, which is, uh, I think last month, we down to 578 now. Cause I took a week off cause I was at the tournament last week. So when we get back, we'll have uh we're going to run that up and get to a thousand subs for the first time. But I have, uh, you know, over a hundred students now, um, all these opportunities with chess.com commentary. And then uh, I do chess.com videos for them. So I get paid to do the YouTube content right. and uh, I got my own YouTube channel too, that now is monetized. So I make money off the ads now, which is all of this came because I was like, Let, let's just jump in the streaming world and start doing it. And the rest is history there. But of course, big shout out to Frank Johnson for definitely, um, you know, putting me on in a way because I was never gotten to streaming until I saw him doing it. And I was loving his stream and he was always playing music and it was fun. And I actually personally know him. So this was like great. And then I picked it up myself and like the rest is history. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's an incredible story. So you got um, connected to chess.com through streaming. Yeah, through streaming. Yeah, they actually reached out to me. I was just streaming and just like doing my thing, streaming, hanging out. Then um, I look up and I get an email like, hey, you know, um, we have a a chess.com partnership um, program. And I'm like, oh, cool. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't take anything. I'm a brand new streamer. Absolutely. What is it? Right. So then they're like, "Uh, yeah, you just got you have to exclusively only stream chess.com and you can get this thing called chess TV. Chess TV was nice. Where like you just get broadcasted and you can you can uh, you get more viewers and people hanging out with you and you just get more exposure, which is huge. And I was loving that. I was definitely loving that. And then it was one point where they had to tell me to stop. I couldn't do to, I couldn't do chess TV as much as I was doing it because I was trying to do chess TV almost every day, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm like, well, shoot, if it's an opportunity, I'm going to take it unless you tell me otherwise, which they ended up doing. Like, hey, you can only do like a few weeks. So I'm like, all right, cool. And I was also taking slots that people would drop out if they like, yo, I'm dropping out. I can't make my slot tonight. Anybody want to have it? I'll be the first one in there. Like, yo, I'll take it. And because I was so like, just ready to always do stuff. And they they was loving my commentary. And uh, one day they was like, Hey man, you want to do some commentary? I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. Did commentary. And then I did another event and another event. And then Steam start becoming, you know, um, huge. And then they're like, yo, you know, we're going to have you as a main commentator. Cause like, they really love you. And like, it's, you know, the energy and things that I bring. And that's just me being a people person. I did sales a long time. So in sales, when you have to do sales, you actually have to like, you know, talk to them and like developing relationship with them before they buy something from you. And I would know that from just 
talking and being social and a vibrant person. And I learned that a lot. So all of that that I learned from sales, I actually just applied it to, it's just second nature to me to be high energy, fun. And like, it's just what I do, positivity, things like that. And so I, I put that in my commentary and it just makes it next level there. So got commentary gigs, chess.com videos. I'm working with chess kids as well. I do chess kid videos and commentary for them as well. So I'm literally, uh, I'm a part of the staff now. So it's pretty good. That's crazy. That's yeah. amazing. That's just yeah. like, so just one opportunity was all you needed. That's it. I'll tell you one opportunity. Like I got chess TV they signed me with the chess partnership and that was it. And then I just started, you know, streaming, going crazy. And then I just started shooting up and shooting up and we start changing things around and, you know, um, changing overlays and this and that starting to look more professional and, you know, now this, even this year, I got signed to an esports team. So right. I was going to ask yeah. you with, about Noble. So Noble yeah, is, Noble. Uh, they're up and coming esports org. They have yeah. uh, teams fielded for Valorant, CSGO. Right. Rocket How League. did that happen? Rocket League 2. How yeah, did that they happen? They just actually reached out to me. Like, and I'm sure, um, I know, shout out to Hikaru and, of course, um, who else Q. is signed? Uh, Q, right. Q, uh, Nemo, right. And then um, Anna Cramling. Anna Cramling. Yeah. Anna Cramling. Frank Johnson just got signed too. That's my boy. And then um, Andrew Tang. Andrew Tang. Yeah. He was one of the first. So with them being the first, like you have to shout them out because they, they paved the way for other esports teams are now looking at chess. So they're like, oh, let's sign some chess players. And because they see that, you know, in chess and Queen's Gambit helped. I mean, Queen's Gambit was like a 600% increase in all chess, no matter what it was. Chess sites, chess lessons, everything went up because of uh, Queen's Gambit. So that helped a lot, too. So I'm sure, you know, when they start looking around for um, for like chess streamers, I just got an email like, hey, man, you know, we uh, love your streams. This is a CEO, actually. Love your streams. Uh, great stuff. You know, um, we'd be looking for you to actually join um, our, our team, our esports team. And I'm like, oh, man, that's awesome. I've been looking to do that. Let's actually chat. So we chatted, got all of the uh, the stuff like what do I get and, you know, what what can they provide for me and what can I provide for them and et cetera. And then you know, the rest is like, you know, history there, man. It's, uh, it's only going up from here. I remember Noble actually told me at one point Ninja being one of the biggest streamers ever. Ninja was actually signed to Noble first. And then as he got bigger. You know, he got other. He just had to take the bigger esports teams because it's business, and they understood that. But he started with Noble first, so it's pretty cool. If you check on their Instagram page, you got you can see a Ninja when he was like first signed to Noble wow. on there, which is sweet. So I'm like, wow, that's like a inspiration because that could be me, you know. And also at the same time, I could stick with Noble and like you know we could blow this thing up, you know. So it could be either me sticking around or or getting bigger opportunities elsewhere, but. It's, uh, you know, chess streaming has literally opened up so many doors. And now, you know, I'm signed to an esports team. One of like, you know, less than 10 chess players are assigned to the esports teams, you know. Yeah. So um, I want to go back to Millionaire Chess because as I am, as I think Millionaire Chess, that was funded by a Canadian entrepreneur with GM Maurice Ashley. That's correct. And Maurice Ashley, of course, the legend. Uh, right. He's the first uh, African-American grandmaster in right. history. You're hoping to be the second. Well, actually, you... the fifth. There's actually uh, the, there's other ones that people don't talk about because they they just not out there like that. But there's only uh, there's four in the world ever in chess. Number one is, of course, Maurice. The second one, I think, is Eamon or Pontus. I don't know which one it is. But Eamon Simwelte, I think, is from Nigeria or something like that. But he's uh, he's one. And then you have um, Pontus Carlson's out of Sweden. So he's a he's a Swedish grandmaster knows like six languages, but he's a he's a grandmaster as well. And then you have Kenny Solomon, who is the most recent. He's from. I 
came from where, but he's uh, not from America, basically, to say the least. So American born and actually Maurice is Jamaican American. So he actually wasn't technically born here, but he gotcha. is here. Like, so me, I would be like straight first and fifth, fifth grandmaster overall, um, black grandmaster, but you know, the first American, American born, you know, so straight American there, but yeah, they, I look up to them and it's, uh, four black grandmasters and uh you know i'm working to be five or six you know in, in that case yeah well we're definitely rooting for you Thanks, um, appreciate. but i would i also i read something um while i was preparing for this uh this interview that as of a couple of years ago there are only 50 something black chess masters in the united states yeah i actually read that too i was like oh i didn't even know that actually so i mean and before then you know i was a master 10 years ago so it, this had to be way less than you know so i was like man i was if i would have really stuck to it if i had sponsorship i think things would be a little different too if i had some big sponsorships and things i probably will be gm now but i didn't have any of that i was really kind of on my own nobody helping nobody really sponsoring or pushing me to do it so um you know that's why now that i have all this 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 stuff that I can do now, chess is full time for me. So I have nothing but time to study and work on my game. And that's what I've been doing the last, you know, two years, two, three years working on my game here to go from, you know, where I was to be, you know, I remember being, my rating is like 2317 USCF. And I really like couldn't get much higher than that, even online. So I was really at my rating in like all categories, but now the, the work I've been doing and putting in work and just like really working on my game, you know, I can't go below 2550. You know, which is good, which is great for me. And I'm always able to hang with IMs and GMs all the time. Even my stats. I remember when I did the um, the match with Levy Rosman, um, I uh, I was beating him in the blitz. I actually had the lead yes. at one point and I almost had a two game win lead, you know, and people are like, oh, he's a national master, which is funny. And I always put quotation marks on that because people are always like, oh, man, why do you go by Jim Canty if you're an NM? And I'm like, I literally just always I go past the question. I don't even answer it sometimes because. All grandmasters were all NMs and FMs and IMs. And you have to play at that strength numbers wise. And by statistics, you have to actually be playing like that before you actually can be it. And for me, you know, you know, somebody will say, oh, you're just a national master. But my rating is higher than some of your favorite GMs on, on in Blitz Chess or That's some so of the, the yeah. GMs. Correct. That you even know, like, you know, oh, I know, you know, I have I got win. I have um, I have plus records on some GMs that I don't even talk about. I just don't never brag about it, you know, cause I don't care. I'm just, I'm, I'm focused on this goal, but you know, I just like to bring up to like, you know, I, I have to play there first before I actually am a grandmaster. And I do believe that I'm playing there now, especially with the stats being, you know, where it's at my highest rating on blitz has been 26, 50 something, which is very nice. As many GMs, sometimes I don't even, uh, I may abort a game if I see a GM with a 2400 rating and I'm like, yo, I'm not about to play you. Like why I'm not going to get any points and it's going to be extremely hard to beat you. Why would I do this to myself? Right? So I set my parameters to be only 20 to 25 below me. So I'm only playing people 26, 20, 25, 80, wherever I'm at at that time where I can play and get good, good competition. So grandmaster being the goal, that's why I put it in front of me and I study like it. I, uh, I talk like it. I play like it. You know, I start like I'm, I'm always into it. I'm obsessed with the game and, um, you know, I'm obsessed with my goals. So to hit them, I got to do everything in my power and go to the tournaments and learn. And every single time you have to learn from everything, because if I'm not learning, you know, you're not learning, you're not growing. And if you're not growing, you know, it's not you're going to get worse. You know, as soon as you get comfortable, you get worse at the game. So um, I'm curious now. Um... 
you are currently grinding to get a FIDE master title. Uh, or are you trying to go straight to international master? Yeah, I don't even care about FN. I'm going to take it. Once I get 2,300 FIDE, I'm going to take it. I actually was 2,353 FIDE. That was my first FIDE rating. And then what happened is I went to the same tournament I just came back from six years ago. I went to that same tournament or the same one six years ago. And um, I got four and a half out of nine, which is 50% in an IM section. So straight only IMs basically, or everybody that's going for a norm, you have to be at least 2,200 feet. eh? So a super strong section. With that being said, I was, I dropped a hundred points after that. And I was like, how did I drop a hundred points after facing some of the strongest competition? And I dropped a hundred because it was provisional, but I was like, well, even being provisional, it should only drop maybe 50 points or so. Like it wasn't like, I I mean, it was very, I was very, very mad. I was frustrated with that. I was pissed about, about that. Cause I'm like, wow, you know, you wanted me to get seven out of nine or something to get points and against these guys, that's like, that's ridiculous. Right. So, you know, um, but 2,300 FIDE masters to me, like I'm not, FIDE masters are great. FIDE masters are strong, very strong, but I don't have problems with FMs at all. I don't even have many problems with IMs. It's really, you know, strong IMs and GMs. That's really where my real competition is at. With that being said, though, um, when I get that FM, I'm going to take it because it's a nice title to have. Yeah. But I'm not like, oh, I'm an FM now, hype. You know, I'm thanks. Cool. Keep going. Because, like, I need IM and GM. Those are the titles I care about the most. Anything it's like else? A, really it's like getting a master's on your way to a PhD. That's all right. Yeah, I got the master's, but I keep going. PhD is what I was really originally going for. That's where I'm going, and that's what I'm going to do. Um. So talking about your chess, without – I know you don't probably don't want to leak your prep or anything, but – do you feel like you have any weaknesses right now in your whole sense of chess that you think you need to work on? Actually, I'm taking some GM lessons this week um, some with a new coach. And, he, uh, you know, I asked him even, too. I was like, hey, man, you know, first off, Hikaru told me um, – Hikaru Nakamura came to Michigan a few years ago, and he did a stymie with a lot of the kids here. And me being, like, the, one of the best Detroit players ever, I was able to um, have dinner with him when he came out here. So I asked him, of course, hey, bro – you know, where I'm at right now, you know, um, I'm trying to get IM and GM. What is uh, what should I be working on the absolute most? And he told me, you know, you should be working on openings the most. And I'm like, wow, openings. I never would have thought of that. Then I was like, OK, what's the uh, difference between the 2600 player and a 2800 player? And again, he was like, it's the openings. You know, they're more prepped or like they're prepped to move 40. There's novelties on move 35, stuff like that. So that's deep prep. And I was like, oh, that makes it, that makes a big difference there. So, you know, I started focusing more on openings. But now I think uh, weakness wise right now is. I need to study deeper of my openings. And also I'm doing some opening switches because I was a Kings Indian player for the last three years, but after this last tournament and just, and not even just last this last tournament over the last year, you know, I've been really like, should I keep playing Kings Indian? It's extremely hard opening to play, especially as you play stronger players, the stronger players you play, the harder it is to play something like the Kings Indian. And they look forward to that. And actually my GM coach that I'm uh, used this week, he said, uh, you know, I even saw two. I saw one quote from Alex Kovic, who's a grandmaster. He said, uh, he was like, yeah, I tried the Kings Indian Grunfeld and excuse me, hypermodern openings in my youth. But then I realized, you know, as I play stronger players, it was harder to play it. And um, they they were easily able to get advantages with the big center that you give them. And they know what to do, basically. So he went to the Queen's Gambit Decline is what he was recommending. So I tried it. I'm like, yeah, I'm cool with that. Queen's Gambit Decline is just very boring. but 
King Zendian, and even another player told me too as well, King Zendian is just a very tough opening to play when you get much stronger and you're playing much stronger openings and much stronger players. But the Grunfeld, which is uh, what I'm actually studying now, um, which literally in the last week just started picking up the Grunfeld again, is um, because it's more, it's uh, more, it's easier practical chances wise, but it is a lot of theory and it's a lot of work because sometimes there's forced draws where like, you know, he said overall, when you're playing black here, you're going to either be having an initiative and win or you're actually going to have a forced draw somewhere. And I was like, yo, that's nice. Like that's either you, you didn't say lose at all, like a forced draw or initiative for black due to uh, how many pieces we can use and so much flexibility and so many options and richness in the Grunfield. And I was like, I like that. So now I need to get equipped um, studying the Grunfield with that. Also as uh, as black with, uh, I'm studying um, Sicilian wise, I was playing the Hyper Accelerated Dragon for a long time. Cause that's all I knew it was my favorite opening, but as you get stronger again, that's something that you don't see at top level. So uh, you would have to see stuff. Like I did try Nidorf. Nidorf is just so much theory. I don't feel like doing Nidorf. I mean, I know a lot of it. It's just like, I don't know. Nidorf is cool. Um, I was a French player for a long time. So I'm actually moving into uh, some very sharp French, not just regular French, but sharp French from Anish Giri. He has a nice uh, sequence of, of uh, courses and stuff. Yes, he has a nice course on Chessable about French defense. So I'm like, okay, let me check that out. I'll check out that French. And I've been liking it so far. French defense is pretty strong. Um, and it's something I've played before. I'm also a fan of the Shreshnikov Sicilian, but I hate playing the Rosalima or against it. So the French defense is something I'm probably going to pick up again because it's extremely solid. And I hate playing against it, even me playing with E4. So uh, E4 wise, you know, I actually saw a, um, a stats thing. There was a statistic um, that and one of my, my uh, viewers, he's a mod in my channel, showed me this article where it was talking about E4 and D4. And it was saying in the last world championships from 2000 all the way up to 2014 is when um, this article was written. Um, uh, it's been two championships after that, two world championships after that. But it was uh, 2014. It was saying that out of 89 games, White won, E4 won one game, drew 18 draws or something like that. And like, I can't remember the other percentage, but, and, and some losses or something like that, I don't remember. But as D4 though, D4 had an astonishing like 18 wins out of 89 games, 18 wins, and then uh, somewhere around the same with draws and something with losses. But the overall thing was that it was basically saying D4 is, is, winning more than E4 is at the top level. So for me, you know, I'm like, I want to still play E4, but I even asked my my coach, my GM coach, I'm like, yo, you know, how you feel about E4? And he was like, you know, I I um, I am not afraid basically of E4. He was like, yeah, I mean, I, I look forward to it in a way. And as I, as me playing black, I look forward to it too. Like you play E4, I'm like, I'm prepped. You know, D4 is the stuff I hate or C4. So actually I've been trying to pick up the English lately. I'm really not a fan because it's very methodical and like uh, slow maneuvering, mm -hmm. but there are some aggressive lines in there and I'm, I'm just not an English player. I'm not used to it. So I am trying to pick it up, see if it's something I like and see what my results are there. So the English is something I'm starting to look at now. And English and uh, because it's boring, not boring, but people hate playing against the English and you got to know what you're doing to play against the English defense or English attack, whatever, but the English. So uh, C4 and of course, Grunfeld in French is usually what my new repertoire is going to be. But in, in a way, that's kind of where my weakness is because it's newer for me. And, you know, I'm consistently playing 2,500 plus players every single day. So something new for me is not new for them, which yeah. is definitely harder you know, so I have to study harder. I have to study more and I have to play less because I'm going to lose a lot of games if I'm not studying the, the content. 
I think that's true for for players across the rating ladder too. Where I know right now, I'm I'm trying to learn the exchange Ruy Lopez um, with with White because I'm trying to avoid right. all these uh, like Morphe defense stuff. I'm just trying to Marshall gambits and stuff. Yes, and I'm also and I'm also actually using a chessable course. So it's very very vindicating to hear that you know even at the much higher level, this chessable stuff is still still working. Oh yeah, at. chessable chess base opening tree um, chess.com Lee chess. Literally, I use all the tools. I let, I use just about everything. I use everything. Because you can use everything for something like chess base. I'll use just to look at games. I need to look at high level games in this position. What do they do? So I'll take chess, chess, chess base. Chessable is good for like, you know, opening reviews and this and that. And like uh, just trying to look for new ideas and see if stuff's there. Chess.com, of course, you use for play the opening explorer tool, things like that. Um, literally everything on chess.com. Lee chess is more like. I want to try new stuff or like, you know, I um I don't want to really mess with this rating on chess.com or you just want to get away from another site and play on somewhere else. You know, I use Lee Chess for that usually. So I use everything. What'd you say? It's the lab. It's the lab. I'm the exactly. exact same way. I'm like right. literally the same way. Chess.com yeah. is where I play my my mainline stuff. And then right. when I just want to mess around and try some new opening, like some bunk opening, like I'm going Go to, to Lee, Lee Chess. Chess. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's that's so funny. Yeah, bro. When you're um so with your coach, I mean you're you're a very strong player, of course. Um, even even you know, like you said, you are able to dispatch with GMs and IMs very easily. Um, does your relationship with your coach? First of all, do you mind sharing who your coach is? But second of all, yeah, actually, so Tangi Tangi uh, Ringwar is his last name. He actually played in the GM section, um, and he tied for second or something like that. I think he got second place, but he's a GM, self-taught GM, very very strong. Very strong and uh, never had any coaching, but he's like 2550, um, I think, USCF or FIDE, one or the other. But he's dumb strong, GM, and uh, very, very strong. And he plays the Grunfeld, and uh, he knows his openings like no other. He was recommended from a friend of mine, uh, and I was like, bet, I'm about to check him out, you know. And that's who he gave me the insight on, like, you know, the French and this and that. And, like, I was like, cool, bro, so I definitely want to pick his brain just to see. And he's also being a self-taught GM is, is huge. So, you know, being self-taught is like, what did you do? What's this? So I'm going to pick his brain and figure out things and show him what I'm doing to try to, you know, hey, am I on the right track? Should I be doing this? What's this? What's that? What do you think of this and that? And, and then go from there. Would you say it's more collaborative or more of like you're, you're really learning? Or a little bit of both. A little bit of both. Yeah, because I'm a collab, of course. There's a lot of things I already know, but of course he knows Grunfeld better than I do. So I'm going to ask him about certain situations, what I don't like. What about, you know, when they play English or what about London system or how do we face Grunfield? How would you face it then? What's the ideas? And usually I like to get plans and ideas overall, pawn structures, talk about that. Um, and uh, usually kind of like um, training for for the title and things like that. And, and you know, I'm going to pick his brain, but it's usually going to be basically both. Now you played recently in a tournament, I think it was in Charlotte, right? I did. And that's got to be one of the only options during the coronavirus pandemic to play over the board chess. So what was the quarantine expectations like for that? And like, how did that affect your, your, your experience? Um, just the only thing different for me was uh, just the mask on. I was about it because just uh, I've never played with like every game with a mask on. That was really it. But other than that, it was pretty easy. Um, they they made sure everything was nice and um, what they say, they made sure everything was nice and sanitized and things like that. So they had a great structure on how they did everything. Make sure things was wiped down and sanitized, and we wore masks the whole time. So it was pretty easy. 
So even during the the game, was there like the glass panel, the like the plexiglass to like for the board? You know what I'm talking about? Like a uh, ton of steel. They had like oh the, yeah, uh, yeah. They didn't have that. No, it was just in front of yeah. We was just you know sitting in front of each other like we usually would with mask on. Wow. Yeah, no plexiglass. And uh, I I didn't actually check the results. How how did the tournament experience go? The no, tournament experience was a learning experience. I will say that because you know, I always like to say too here, like nobody, first off, nobody in our section got a norm. It was 10 players and none of us got the desired score. Nobody scored six and a half, which was the desired score. Out of nine games, the highest score was five and a half, which is like, that's a tough tournament. Very tough. And then I actually... You know, um, I kind of underestimated my competition. I will say that. And I, I say that because um, I knew I realized afterwards that it, there was three IMs already. So uh, that's cool. You know, three IMs. I know they're in a section, but everybody else like there was 10 players to my section. Eight of them were either IM or they had three norms already. And I was like, I didn't even know this. So basically the whole section besides two or three players was IMs, everybody in the section. I didn't even know. And I was like, wow, if I would have knew this, I probably would have prepped a little harder or haven't went for certain lines that I did. I purposely went on other lines and like, oh, we'll go for this risk or we'll take this extra risk because blah, blah, blah. But not knowing that I'm playing people that are, you know, all of them got three norms. Most like all they rating on is rating. So I'm like, man, I'm tripping out here. I shouldn't have did that. But I have learned. I learned a lot. And also learned a lot about opening wises and things like that. I finished with three because I had, um, you know, one, I had some fluke losses. Some that I'm analyzing my games. I had one that I should have won. Like two of them was like that. One game was should have been a draw. And then I some other games were draws that I was like, eh, it's whatever. I had some losses. I had some draws. And I had one strong win against the top player in the section. So I beat one IM in like 18 moves. Crushed him. It was a very convincing win beating our top dog in the section. But I had draws and losses. And it was like back and forth. I was literally back and forth. Draw, loss, draw, loss, win, loss, draw, loss. It was like back and forth. Right. And I was like, OK, well, I have learned a lot. And, uh, you know, now I'm going to take everything I've learned and go back into, you know, when I go to the next one, it should be uh, two months from now. We in March now. So April. Yeah. And the next one's May Memorial Day weekend. So I'll be I should be going to that one. So I should be playing. I'm going to be playing a lot better chess. It'd be a new improve and different canty you'll see then because I, excuse me, I learned. And when you learn, you have to apply what you learn. Exactly. And uh, where will you be playing? Same place, Charlotte. Same tournament. Uh -huh. Yeah, they um, having a few. Gotcha. So, you know, as the coronavirus pandemic is, you know, easing down, do you expect that you'll be trying to look for more of these norms overseas? Absolutely. I have a uh, shout out to my buddy, um, Andrew. Andrew, he's um, basically like my manager, but uh, Andrew Spear. So um, he, uh, when I talked to him, he was like, uh, yo, bro, um, I'm going to just print out and find all the norm tournaments we have in the United States and we just going to book them. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So he's going to look them up. And once that happens, once we have it on like a list, I'm just going to choose which ones to go to and prep for them. So I have more shots to, um, to get these norms and, and, and come out on top. So you said um, you need three norms. Do you have any norms as of now? I don't have any norms yet. Nope. No norms yet. And I've only played, I've played, played that one, then Chicago, then world. And shoot in the last six years, this is like uh, this year and next year. And then like every year from now on, it'll be 
some of my biggest years for chess. I remember 2015, 2014 and 15, even though it was millionaire chess, you do have chances for norms. So, but if you get pulled out to go play for the money, which I did, you won't like, I stopped my, 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 uh, score sheet, like basically ended on this, on the pairings at four because they took me out to go play a millionaire Monday. So I didn't play the other rounds like everybody else did where I could have had chances for norms, but I mean, I would rather get that money anyway. There was big money there, but, um, uh, those were uh, two tournaments there. Then I played, shoot, I didn't play any more norm tournaments, which they were available. But of course, funding is always the problem. Then um, Chicago Open and World Open is what I played 2019. And I was going to do the same thing 2020. And I actually was one point. I was a half a point away or one point. It was either a half or one point away in back to back tournaments and Chicago Open and World Open in 2019. I was a half a point away from getting a norm both times in the same year. And I was like, okay, I'm nice. Like five and a half out of nine in the open section is very strong, you know, playing against all the big boys there. And I was doing really, really good. I was doing great there, but um, then 2020 came around. That was COVID. So, you know, we didn't have nothing to do then. And now 2021 is here. So, you know, I have time now to play in as many norm tournaments as possible. Cause I mean, even norm tournaments wise period, it's probably been less than 10 that I can think of. Um, in the last, you know, decade. And now, you know, because of uh, chess being life for me now, I don't have to work a job or anything. Chess is just, it's life, you know, I work for myself, twitch, chess.com, you know, the videos and lessons is able to, for me to be able to study more because you need that time to study and prepare. And if you don't prep and you go unprepped, you're going, it's like you're wasting money. So now I have time to prep and which I wanted to do this anyway. The only thing I wanted to do was, you know, I wanted to monetize chess so I can study more and work on my goals so I can make I am a GM. And now that that's a reality for me, it's uh, it's only a matter of time before I'm able to get the norms that I'm looking for. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, we're all rooting for you. And uh, I mean, this is I, this is fascinating stuff for me because, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I didn't even know about, uh, you know, the inner workings of the chess world and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask you just some more general questions now. Um, so I'll start with this. In brief, what is your chess philosophy? How do you approach a game? Oh, um, well, my favorite player is Tao, so I'm always aggressive. I'm about aggression. I'm about tactics, sharp play. Um, I thrive off tactics. There's even a quote out there, chess is 99% tactics. I don't know who said that, but that is correct. I mean, to me, chess is 99% tactics, with, of course, strategy is the 1% and other stuff like that, but... Um, how I approach a game is, of course, uh, always the same. I have to develop. I got to be prepped through my opening. If I'm not prepped, that's cool. I can rely on opening principles, like develop and get things out. But I'd rather have the opening guide. And that's what openings are, is a guide. So as you get stronger, 2200 plus, you need to really work on your openings. And that's what um, even Naka told me that. My GM coach, Tangi, said the same thing. Hey, you need to work on openings. And I'm like, Yo, that's crazy. You know, I'm glad you said that because Naka told me this like years ago which is crazy. So now I'm, I was, I was already working on this and that's one of the biggest things that I changed. And then, you know, I was able to break basically 2,600 online and be able to do that consistently and be able to hang with these boys every day. But the most thing I've been working on the most was my openings because I need to be able to get a good sharp, you know, position out of the opening. So um, with that being said, like uh, <clears throat> it's a lot of work, bro. It's a lot of work to it, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm, I'm happy that, you know, I'm able to do this and go for my norms and things like that. So, but approaching a game will always be like sharp. I'm always into sharp chess. That's why Grunfeld French. I'm still actually my, uh, my GM coach just texted me. Cause I asked him, I'm like, yo bro, can I realistically hit GM playing E4? And he was like, of course you can. He just hit me and just said, of course you can. There's even people 
um, because novelties are generally more important to you for a bad see, Yeah, I'm good to go. So now, um, so now I don't have to study English because I didn't want to. I did not want to play this English opening and because I really wanted to hear like, yo, can I play E4 and like get away with it up to, to the top level? And he's like, yeah, he just texted me or he just messaged me back and was like, yeah, bro, you can. And I'm going to read the rest later. But I'm like, perfect. That's all I want to know. So now I can put more emphasis on E4 because my coach just told me that you can get to 2600 over the board playing E4. So perfect. So that's what I'm going to do now. Um, and then I need I really need something sharp against um, against E4, which I've, I play a lot of sharp stuff anyway. My approach to the game is play very sharp, be extremely prepped and beat you know, everyone tactically. If not, I can play positionally. I don't prefer to. But, you know, that's a uh, well-rounded players. You know, you have your you have what you like, but, you know, sometimes like you prefer this, but I can play this. And positionally, I can play great positional chess, but I just don't prefer to play it because it takes longer. And like I have some friends like I have one friend. Uh, shout out to Casa. Casa Corley. International oh, I know Master. Casa Corley. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Casa. Casa's like, uh, you know, I love having a game that's, um, you know. 50 move grind and I'm and I, you know, and I beat him and he has no moves. And I'm like, bro, 50 moves, like you tripping. <laughs> no, I'm trying to beat this guy. Like, like my, my, my favorite game so far was uh, my 18 move win. I beat it. Uh, I am in 18 moves. And it That's was from this very, tournament, right? Crushed him. Right. I can't wait to do the YouTube video for it, but crushed him 18, 18 moves. I was like, wow, bro, that was fire playing E4. But, um, you know, with that being said, that's my kind of game. Swashbuckling chess, my favorite player as of today, would be Duboff because he plays that kind of chess. Yeah, he's a pirate. He's right. He just don't care. And he like, you know, I'm going for the throat. That's my kind of stuff. He's not like a towel, but he's like a modern day towel-ish, maybe like a shear off or something like that. Just something very aggressive, doesn't care, and he will he will find novelties and things like that. Is the reason why Magnus had him as the second for a while. So I'm like, that's what's up, man. You know, that's my kind of chess like that. Yeah, and I think it's also why why Dubov has been featured in all these high level events, even though he, on terms of official rating, is is below some of these other Russians who you would expect to. I right. think that he's he's really refreshing. Yeah, he's definitely one of my favorite players too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm also I'm I'm kind of wondering going back to um, like scholastic chess because I know you've talked about this before. I know you you have a lot of clients now. What what is your coaching philosophy? And has, has, has that like kind of exposed you to new ideas in chess? Yeah, actually, um, I do know um, what they always say. Um, teaching is learning twice. So when I'm teaching stuff, I am also learning, relearning stuff that I already, I was like, I already knew this, which is like, now I know it on a deeper level or it'll put me in the right direction to go pick up something or look at something that will help my game. So what I like to do is for the longest time, and every GM does this, every player, I don't, I don't even know any players that don't do this now, uh, lessons wise. I've been coaching since I was like 13, because I was an expert at 13, 14 years old. So I was able to coach already around then. So coaching 15 years now would be, um, um, you know, then even every coach that I've had, every coach I've seen, everyone, every day, and when I get new students and, and, they tell me the previous coaching. No one does it how I do it now. And I realized this, like I treat chess like school. This is what I tell all of my students. I literally treat chess like school where we give notes and homework every single lesson. And the reason why I give notes and I type them up as I'm talking. So if I have rules, I got a little kind of like lots of fundamentals and like lots of uh, sayings and things that very stick that stick to my students pretty well. Like um, one of them, for instance, if they cross the line, they got to go. So that means the equal halfway point. So if you're in the fourth rank, you're playing white. 
and you have your pieces on the fourth rank and black moves a piece to the fifth rank or to your rank, to the fourth rank. They have crossed over the halfway point into your territory. They have to go or they're going to bring friends and it's going to get very real for you. And it's going to be a party you don't want to be at. So you have to get rid of it immediately. So, but what, you know, the thing is, I can tell you this, but you're going to forget this 90% of the time. You're going to forget it an hour after we leave the lesson. So sometimes I remember I had one coach, which is very, he's very, very strong, even coaching 2,600 GMs himself, which is very strong. And I, I noticed this even in other GM lessons as well, that no one's going to type up anything for you. So when I was taking lessons with him, and, and even when I when I work with Sangi this week, I'm actually going to be typing my own notes up and documents, anything that he says that sticks, because I know I'm going to forget it. And I know that my students, I do this for my students because, you know, it's proven. This is why you take notes in school. This is why I treat chess like school. You take notes in school to do what? To go home and study your notes to do what? So you can go back to class and pass the test. And in chess, it's the same way. You don't take any notes. You don't listen. You forgot everything and you still garbage the next day and you spent the hundred dollars an hour for lessons. So right. it doesn't make sense to do that. So I actually type my own notes up. And of course I don't ask for notes from my, from my GM coaches or anybody like that because they've never done that. And I've been doing it the last two or three years. I just know that it works because you, my students can go back and read their notes from whatever lesson, whenever they want to, and it can be a refresher for their memory. And that's what I have too. I had, I took six or seven lessons with my last coach and uh, I, I took notes on everything that he said, everything. I was like, oh, that's nice. Okay, cool. So now, you know, a year later, I can literally just read the notes from what I had there and not be like, wait, what did he say about that again? I kind of forgot. And I can just have it right there. So my approach is always notes and homework. I give homework based off of, you know, where are you playing at? What's, um, you know, what we talked about in that lesson? What do I see in game analysis? Stuff like that. So I do get homework as well. But yeah, when I, when I uh, first took lessons, this was three years ago. Um, that was my coach gave me homework. And I think I credit the improvement entirely to that because I got a lot of friends who, because of the chess boom, they started to get into it. And obviously I'm not going to give them homework or anything that's going to be cringe. Like mm -hmm. for, you know, just like, you know, just as a friend to be like, okay, you have to study this position now. I wouldn't do that to them. But um, yeah, I mean, they don't have that same kind of improvement. And the one thing that I would attribute it to is the, the homework, like you said, just having, you know, some positions on a Dropbox file and saying, okay, what's the best move here? Think about some candidate moves here. Where's the blunder here? And also like, for example, I remember one of the, one of the best lessons I had with this coach who I don't have anymore. He actually coaches my brother, but one of the best lessons we had was that short Tinman, uh, immortal King walk. Oh yeah. King H2, G3, yeah. F4, G5, H6. Yes. Yeah. yes. And I remember finding that on my own sitting, I was actually in Denmark when I had this lesson, I was, I was doing research in Denmark for us uh, for summer. And, um, I remember I was just sitting in my room like 7 p.m. looking over this file that he gave me for homework the day before and finding this idea on the board. I told myself, I'm not going to look this up. I'm just going to, I'm not going to watch the Agamador video. I'm just going to sit, find this idea. And I said, wait, he can't stop this. And a couple of months later, I play in an over the board tournament in New York where I'm from. And we have this completely dead drawn position. It was like Bishop Knight, Bishop Knight and a couple of pawns. Oh, no, mm -hmm. sorry, Bishop Rook, Bishop Rook, a couple of pawns. And I do the same thing. I just march my king over from E8 all the way to like like D2 or something. And it I, works. I, yeah, and he actually, he, I put him in Zugzwang and he lost the Rook. And it was just wow. like, but it's like, it was that home, it was that, that idea. exact homework lesson. And you just yeah. you keep it forever. Like, right. you keep it. And so I got all this quick improvement. I have a new coach and I was a grandmaster. And it's the same thing. I get homework, I get positions to look at, I get, you know, all this stuff. And 
and it's improved my chest. I mean, I went over the pandemic. I went from like 400 rating points and it's all homework. Yeah. All, all homework. homework. That's right. All homework. all homework. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Same thing. Pandemic. I went up. Um, I'm always getting higher right now. I'm having, uh, because I'm having, um, well now I can stick to E4. So that's a good thing. I'm so happy. I get to stick with E4, but, uh, Grunfeld and maybe French or Sveshnikov, which I have to study a little more. It has to be one of those. So I actually have to hit him. I'm probably gonna ask him, what do you think about the French? Like objectively, but it's uh French and Sveshnikov. I have to study those very in depth and my Grunfeld, which your rating will dip a little bit back and forth and not all the time because you can still play very strong chess and not know, you know, what's going on. I had a game like that today. I'm like, I know I shouldn't have won this one, but tactically it just worked out. Yeah. And I know that this opening was wrong and like this and that, because it's new, I'm just learning how to play this effectively, you know, stuff like that. So it is growing and the homework definitely works. I do my own homework. I even have sometimes Excel sheets or I'll write down what I need to work on for the day. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to spend two, three hours just on this. Then I'm going to spend another two, three hours just on this. And sometimes, I mean, to me, I spend up to eight to 10 hours sometimes studying chess. It just depends on the, on how, what I got to do that day. Cause I'm very busy with like, you know, chess lessons and then videos for students. I have to do my own YouTube videos, streaming chess.com work, chess.com videos, chess kid videos, commentary. Crazy. Right. And then I have two sons as well. So, you know, it's a lot of work, a lot of work, but you know, I wanted, I made this life happen because I wanted to, um, I really wanted to, uh, to make chess like life for me. And so I can have time after I'm done with everything. I don't have to go to sleep to go up to get to go to work in the morning. I can study chess and then go to sleep and then get up and study more chess and then do work, which is still chess. So, you know, I finally made this a thing and I'm very blessed to be able to be a part you know, of something like this and have the opportunities that I do have and opportunities going forward in the future. How old are your sons? Um, three and one. So they're still a bit young to play chess. Yeah, my three-year-old actually knows chess. He's like, Daddy, chess. So I got chess boards and, like, you know, all kind of stuff. So he moves the pieces. He doesn't know their names or anything yet, but he likes to move them on the board. And now he knows that stuff usually can go one or two squares. So he picks it up and moves it to a square. And so he's very smart. He actually knows how to record videos. So I always have all these videos on my phone. So I'm going to start his own YouTube channel <laughs> and just, like, you know, post everything that he posts and everything that he records. He just record, records stupid videos, funny videos of him just screaming and, like, running around and then having a ball. So I'm going to just do that. He actually somehow posted to my YouTube channel. I kept it up there because it was hilarious. But it was a one-second video of him screaming. So um, I left it up there, and the title was, like, uh, yeah, my three year old son somehow posted to my youtube channel because uh, i have it like connected to him. i i got i give him his own iphone or whatever it's an old phone for me so it's an old iphone that i don't use anymore so i gave it to him and let him just do his thing get on youtube and he's very smart kids these days are extremely smart when it comes to the technology he knows how to like you know record a whole video and he's three years old and he knows how to record it stop it check it go record another one so I'm like, cool. So I'm getting him in the habit of doing it now because, you know, YouTube would be huge for him one day. Maybe he'll be 11, 12 years old and already making money from his YouTube channel. So that's a goal of mine. And also chess wise, too. I learned when I was eight. So I want him to be learning between now and his fourth birthday in November where he'll be like learning. And we play chess, you know, a few games every day. We also have chess kids. So chess kids is going to be um, I have my own like account and like um, coaches thing for chess kids so I can make him a gold member. And what I'm going to do is set up the app on his phone and have him start playing chess every day and li literally have it at school. As he goes to school, once he starts going to school, the last class of the day or before school will be chess as a real class. And it's just going to be me teaching him, which is because that's what I want him to have. 
not only just for chess, because I would love for him to be a GM fast, but <laughs> also just because of the things that chess does and the analytical thinking, critical decision making and stuff like that, you know, thinking outside the box and actually using your brain, patience and things like that. So it teaches a lot. So would you say that you you think chess should be taught in you know every school in America? Absolutely. New York has it. New York, one of the biggest chess states, is yeah. uh, has this thing called chess in schools. I got a lot of homies that grew up through chess in schools that are all strong players now, or they're right under a strong player. But if you have chess in school, absolutely. There's many, many players that um, come up because of chess in school. If they have that, there's going to be an increase. And in even their statistics that are – you know, chess players are, you know, it works the math part of the brain. So math scores go up and reading goes up and things like that because you start playing chess. So usually you start to see an increase in everything when you start playing chess and, and then you implement it in school is absolutely good. It teaches kids patience, how to make decisions. And, you know, I always say chess is life and life is chess. So if you teach it to them that way, you know, you make a decision here, it can affect you for the rest of your life. And that's something that they'll think about yeah. in, um, in other decisions outside of chess. Very well said. Last question for you. You're becoming an up and coming voice in the Twitch community and in the chess community, you know, with everything that you do, everything that you're, you know, grinding for. Is there anything that, first of all, is there anything that you kind of want to use this like, growing power for, like as a force for good? And then I'm also wondering, is there anything from the chess world, especially as it's experienced two straight booms in a row, is there anything that you would like to see more of from the chess world? Let me ask you a second one first. I would like to see more of, um, yeah, more of Queen's Gambit. If Queen's Gambit, if they keep running at Queen's Gambit, Paw Champs, the thing is uh, there's a shortage of strong players because, like, everyone can't reach Street GM. Everyone can't play GM level. Everyone will never reach that. That's okay. But the more beginners coming in is more for everyone. That means there's more competition. That means there's more love for the game. That means some new player so excited about chess may help an old player that was about to give up because of their excitement. It's just like, man, you know what? I'm going to get back in the chess because you're so hype about it kind of thing. You know, that's huge. That's huge. So many other players to get back in the chess because Queen's Gambit dropped. They're like, yeah, watch Queen's Gambit. And like me and my wife are now loving chess again. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Like, that's insane. But if Queen's Gambit didn't come out, they wouldn't even care. So, you know, um, we need more Queen's Gambit and like more chess period stuff like that that's gonna be fun and then your first question again was what um your first my first question is like you know you've gained more power as a as a streamer you're becoming more yeah. prominent is there any like long-term goals you want to kind of use that power for beyond obviously just you know being able to fund yourself becoming a grandmaster absolutely i mean i'm trying to um i always say you know i want to be as big as hikaru and levy because uh i mean hikaru got a million twitch followers so yeah, you know i definitely want to be that it's like that's crazy that's like big twitch status like no matter what brand or what game a million followers in anything you cream of the crop be like you are killing it you know that is like insane like and that's where i want to be you know i'm not even close to that yet i'm at like 12 something you know i got like one percent of that which is crazy to even understand even yeah. subs wise too i always say like i want to be as big as hikaru and them because hikaru is at uh i mean he got like i think i saw him on the rank on like maybe the second or third page of uh you know who has the most twitch subs on twitch and I was like, damn, Hikaru up here. Like, it's crazy. You know, Hikaru got like 20,000 subs, which yeah. is insane. That's like $5 per sub. That's 100K a month if that's the $5 subs, right? And then you got other stuff and donations and tier three subs and all this ads running. You know, that's it's insane. This man easily pulling in 
a dumb check every month. And that's exactly how I'm trying to be. And even bigger, of course, and then, you know, uh, have more opportunities. I want to be as, you know, I want to be doing commentary for world championship status and stuff like that. But I do have to hit GM to be able to do that. So, you know, it's not like, oh, why is an NM that's really just NM on paper? But why is an NM doing commentary for world championship? Because people just stupid like that, you know, and don't understand it. You know who I am. That's cool. They just see the title, which is great. But they have to see, you know, the GM title for me. And once that happens, then I'll be able to do, um, you know, world championship commentary when that comes around and like bigger GM commentary, like big GM tournaments, Tata steals, things like that, where I'll be able to actually do real commentary for them. And I would love to do commentary. Literally I'm sitting around talking about chess and getting paid for it. Like who doesn't want to do that? So, you know, that's, that's a huge thing for me. I'd love doing it. That's my, uh, my next thing is uh, growing as big as humanly possible. My next goal, of course, is 20 K followers. Um, and then hundred K and then 500,000 and a million and things like that. And then, you know, at the same time, growing my stream and funding and, um, you know, I want to fund a chess league. I want to have like something, some type of chess league. There's lots of ideas, chess leagues, chess, uh, courses. Um, I have one course out already, but I need more. So chess courses. And, um, I think that's about it that I've known so far, you know, that, I, that I'm like, you know, looking in the future kind of thing, chess leagues um chess sites uh, more more courses chess teams like teams that i work with for instance i have a manager now and um so it's cool to have a manager but at the same time i want to have you know a bigger team like a team and and seconds and things like that like how the gms have a lot of gm magnus got a whole squad of people yeah, do this, this everybody. everybody right and i'm trying to do the same thing you know but i need to hit gm first or on the way there you know people that's going to ride with me until i hit gm and then we grow out and do other things from there yeah. Yeah, well, it's funny because um, I started watching Karu three years ago, and um, he had twenty thousand followers back then, or something. Jeez, and, crazy. Yeah, and so Million you're around there man. too. Yeah. You're, so you know, you could be it somebody see Karu. Yeah, that's right. It could blow up. It could literally blow. Up. And actually, I have a lot of people that come to the stream. And it's like, man, I ain't been in a stream in a year, Kanti. You blew up. You're famous now. I get that a lot. And I'm like, yeah. well, you know, we just kept grinding, man. We kept grinding. Now I average, you know, my average viewers is at 500 now, which was like crazy. I was never at 500 viewers, not even like six, seven months ago. I wasn't at 500 average viewers. So at any given time, I got like 500 plus viewers, which is sweet. That's awesome. And my viewership's going up. I'm getting more, uh, more publicity, more like this, more that, more opportunities. People reach out to me every day about something. I got a bot now on chess.com. You don't just get a really? bot. I was hype about that. Yeah, I have a chess.com bot. It's the it's a canty one. They can just go play me. It has my hat and my sunglasses there. <laughs> so they're like they like, yo, go play canty. I'm like, wow, I have my bot, bro. So it's just awesome. You know, I'm chess.com for life because of everything they do and how good it is and like all the opportunities. You know, I I put, you know, I thank I thank God for chess.com, but chess.com definitely gave me the outlet and everything I need. I'm not going anywhere. I'm never leaving chess.com because all of the opportunities that I have now, and I remember when it first started and what was going on. And now it's on, they're only giving me more stuff. I'm getting more of this, more of that, more of this. Hey, Canty, we got this coming up. Hey, this and that. So I'm always going to stay in it and around it and be with it and always stream chess.com because that's, you know, for me, the biggest payday. And at the same time, the biggest, um, biggest everything. I mean, my stream has grown from chess.com. Um, yeah, I can, I mean, literally just nothing but love for them. Nothing but love as we get bigger and stronger and things like that. I mean, it was such a huge in, increase in, um, when Queens Gambit dropped chess.com went 
double basically it was like double new viewers knew this it was like 50,000 new people signed up in the day something like that probably more but just to put that out there but it was just a lot of um a lot of chess and uh, I'm, I'm glad to be like in the center of it so I'm just gonna keep streaming uh, and keep changing things up you never want to be stagnant I kept the same overlay for like the last year and now I just switched it up to all this whole green look somebody hit me up hey Canty I can do this for you new overlay new this do that I'm like cool let me do it let me see what it looks like and it looked great and I was like perfect we gonna run with it it's something new and it's it's green and things like that I'm branding myself and it's sweet, bro. It's sweet. I always take the opportunities up, man, you know, and, um, and as we grow, because, you know, even this even this uh, podcast is going to be huge. Like it's going to be huge over time. The more that you do this and grow it, like it's going to be absolutely huge. And me being a part of this is just awesome. Like I love to always put my hand in a little bit of everything chess wise, because you never know what's going to happen. Something blows up. Somebody hears it. They want to sponsor you. Somebody might hear this podcast. They're like, Canty, I'll pay for every tournament. I'm like, excellent. I'm with that. Okay, let's go. Let's get it. Because that's what I would like. Sponsorships. You know, at one point, Hikaru was signed to Red Bull. People yeah. forget about, you know, but he had a sponsorship with Red Bull. You know, he don't got to drink none of the Red Bulls, but at the same time, he's sponsored to it. And I'm like, I don't drink Red Bull, but if they sponsored me, I would pour it out, put water in it and be sipping my water <laughs> through the Red Bull because yeah. they pay me. Absolutely. So, you know, that's the kind of, that's the kind of uh, opportunities it opens up. And for me, I, you know, I'm, I'm headed to the top, man, at the same time working on GM. Yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, I've, I've heard a comparison that um, getting a grandmaster title is like earning two PhDs. That's it's, exactly uh, right. Yeah, yeah. it's exactly it's a right. lot of work. Not even one PhD. I mean, I'm trying to actually yeah. get a PhD in astronomy. Yeah. That's what I'm uh, applying for right now. So nice. you know, but um, but it's like two PhDs, and I feel like it's 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 something that's very hard for people to appreciate, like how much work it is for a game too, especially. Um, that is correct. Yeah. That's correct, bro. It's a lot of work. It literally, you know, sometimes I'll spend two hours in one book and then I have to read it all over again is what I tell people. Sometimes you'll read a book. That's cool. Nice. You know, and I have, I have one book that I've read for the last eight years and I still get problems wrong in it. And I tell people all the time that, you know, um, if you read one book and let's say we read the same book, reassess your chest. And I'm like, Hey, okay, cool. Tell me what was in chapter four. And you're like, oh, I don't really remember Then you didn't read that book. That means you have to read it again and again and again, until you can tell me what's every, it's every single book. Actually, one of my favorite books like that, the one I've been reading for eight years is forcing chess moves. It's a tactics book, but I've been reading that for the last eight years. And I know that, you know, chapter six is equal to stronger threats. And it says ESTs. This is the most common thing that people miss. And even strong players miss it. It says that best defense is off. Best offense is no best defense is offense is what that chapter is about. There's a chapter three is um, stock mating attacks. So that talks about, Hey, you know, if you got all the pieces in the right area, most times you're going to get this wrong, but you have to be looking for forcing moves. That's chapter three, you know, chapter two is stock forcing moves. So I know about chapter two, how the stock forcing moves work together. This may not be a mate, but you need to be looking for forcing moves. I think one of the last chapters is intuition and creativity, which is like 19 variations in there, but it talks really about like kind of Magnus kind of things, creativity over the board, creativity and tactics, things like that but i read this book so many times that i can recite this stuff and then somebody else that <laughs> wow. tells me like oh yo, how many you know i read that book i'm like cool which chapter did you like the best they're like i don't know i just like the book well did you didn't read it we can't talk the same you need to keep reading that book over and over and that's why you know the repetition part not only is the it's the mother of all learning but in chess you know it's it's huge you know any any and always you know i always tell people and i tell uh, my students a lot 
you know, chess is a lot like every other sport. If you think about the Steph Curry's and LeBron James's and any of that, you know, why are they so good? Steph Curry can shoot the ball and turn around and look at you and it's going in. And the reason why he can do that is because he's done 500 shots of this every single day. So when he shoots it, he can turn around and wave or look at somebody and the shot is going to go in. 90% of the time. That's insane because of that muscle memory of repetition. Mother of all learning, the more you do it, the better you get it, you get at it, and the better you can recite it and you use that, whatever that is in 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 real life. Last question. Since we talk mm-hmm. about basketball, are you a Detroit Pistons fan? I am. I am. It sucks that you know our team garbage, but it's um well, and we just lost Blake too. So it's like yeah, bro, well, as a Nets fan, whatever. thank I mean, you so much for Blake Griffin and also <laughs> for thank you for Bruce Brown too. He's the revelation. Oh yeah, right. It's like you know what, bro? They don't even care about sports over here. You know, I have uh, I'm tatted up, so people are always like, man, you don't look like a chess player, you know, because I got all these tattoos and stuff, and like they just I'm just cool, like like chess people are nerds or something. But no, it's funny, like because chess does have a stereotype of being nerdy and like. My sister's like, yeah, you know, chess is like watching grass grow. That's what my sister said. I was like, it's so funny because people, you know, I love the game, but she's like, yeah, it's like watching grass grow. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of funny. But um, yeah, I'm glad that y'all have us. I'm glad y'all got, you know, y'all good team and stuff like that. But I have on my um, on my arm, I have a Detroit sleeve with like teams, Michigan and Tigers and Detroit Lions, Pistons. I got everybody on my sleeve, but it's uh, just representing Michigan, but man, geez, yikes. You know, sometimes it hurts to be representing Michigan because our team <laughs> sucks sometimes. But when we're doing good, you, hey, we're doing great, you know. So I just like sports overall. I'm not a, a team hopper like, oh, I like this team. I like this team. I actually just like watching, and I do like watching great teams, especially like the Nets got a super team and, um, of course, the Warriors. So I'm like, sweet, yo, those are fire teams. I'm going to yeah. watch all the time when they play because you're going to see great basketball that's going to be awesome to watch that as opposed to just rooting for the pistons just because they the pistons and i am i'm going to root for them but we not that good and that's okay like you know that's okay one day we'll, we will be good maybe somebody get traded maybe somebody come out of the draft that's like you know a lamello ball or something who just fractured his wrist so you know hopefully he'd be all right you know coming out of there he's out for the season that's crazy but you know, well, you know, even the Nets five years ago were garbage. I remember. I could oh, you're you, right. I could tell you all those guys were on those teams, like Jorge Gutierrez, like Egidius Makovicius, like, like I know, like guys you haven't even heard of. I haven't even heard like, of them. Yeah, I remember yeah. Uh, Dan Williams was over there, and it was nice for a little bit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, Nets was not somebody I was like, uh, yeah, the Nets. But now the Nets on everybody radar. The Nets, mm-hmm. and uh, especially man, James Harden over there. You got KD, like bro, super team. Blake Griffin, Kyrie, Blake, Kyrie, like yo, what are y'all doing? Y'all, all these people just to beat the Warriors, right? Or you know to beat the Lakers, right? But you know, Lakers. Uh, LeBron is uh, LeBron is LeBron. You know, LeBron yeah. is LeBron, one of the greatest ever to do it. And the then, Magnus uh, of basketball. Magnus of basketball. Yeah, it was some point where um, I remember uh, actually uh, I was watching something on Facebook the other day and it was saying, you know, this is the type of prep. You know, it's funny because I do that kind of prep in chess, but <laughs> I really do. I'm not even gonna lie. But the prep was uh, I was some I don't remember. Might have been Michael. No, not Michael Beasley. It was um, I forgot his name. He played for the Grizzlies. Forgot his name. But he was um, Malik Beasley, maybe. Beasley, yeah, Malik, Malik Beasley, yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah, it's Malik, it was him, yeah, and he was, uh, he was saying that, you know, when he was prepping for Kobe, or he played Kobe that day, and he said that Kobe kept saying these random dates at me, 
And he was like, yo, he kept, he kept yelling these random dates while we was playing. And I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about. And then he said he looked up the dates after the game and he found out that these was dates of his cousin's birthdays. And I was like, oh my goodness, this man knew his cousin's birthdays. He was prepping so hard. And I'm like, you know, he didn't even know his cousin's birthdays. He looked them up and was like, wow, these are my birthdays of my cousins. He was out here, you know, really getting in my head. Right. And that's that. That's how I like to prep, too. I like to see what was the last thing they used. When was the last time they played it? How often? What's their win rate with it? What do they like to do? You know, what do they look like? How is their posture? And, you know, Gary Kasparov actually says that uh, chess is more psychological than it is the moves. So a lot of times in over the board chess, when you look in, you know, psychologically, how do they feel? Are they huffing and puffing a lot? Do they like this last move? Are they breathing harder? How are, you know, are they jittery after I make this move? You know, and you have to have nerves of steel, which is I learned that from Feingo. You never know what's going on from Feingo. Feingo, I've watched him play over the board chess since I was young. He's never, ever, ever, ever telling you what's going on in his head. One game, he actually told me after the game, he was like, yeah, you could have won by playing blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I could have beat you. I didn't even know that. Like, that's crazy. I could have beat you. I was like 2100 at the time. And I missed some sequence and he ended up winning the game, obviously. But he was like, yeah, you had a fork here and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, bro, I didn't even see that. But you would never know that it was there because stone cold face, no emotion, just playing the game and focus. And anytime that you show that emotion, I mean, you probably can in a losing position. If you straight up losing and you feel some type of way about it, that's different. You know, you about to get made it, no way out of it. You know, that's different. But usually you want to sit there with that stone cold kind of face thing. And like, you know, that psychological pack fact is, uh, is even bigger than, you know, anything else. Yeah. And I think like when you talk about online chess, I think that's one big component because I was only playing online. And when I started playing over the board tournaments, like that whole psychology uh, was just completely absent to me. And I know you just recently played in the I Am Not a GM tournament. That's actually how I got exposure to you, by the way. And oh, I yeah. remember in Twitch chat, a lot of people saying, oh, NM, Pog, and like just, you know, thinking it was going to be easy match. And I remember even mm-hmm. Hikaru was saying like, yeah, this guy's strong. Like he's, he's, giving Le- he's giving Levy a run for his money. And obviously you didn't end up winning in the end, but it was a very close match. I think from then on, I mean, you had a stronger performance than like Eric Rosen, Greg mm-hmm. Shahadi. Like these are like, you know, like, almost GM strength, international masters, like guys who are, you know, super famous and you, know, you, 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 you really put on a show. So that's actually most of my first exposure to, but I was actually just wondering, like, you know, there wasn't really a psychological thing there, right? You just were kind of just, you know, playing. I was just playing. Mind. Yeah. And I was playing the board and I was like, you know, they always, I learned this from fine go too as well. When one of my first uh, master coaches, um, he was, uh, he was taking a lesson with fine go and fine go was like, play the board. You always, the board will tell you what to do. And I remember this for a long time ago when I was doing my prep. I'm like, you know, yeah, I have NM next to my name, but I always tell people, bro, I've been a national master 11 years. I've been in NM 10 years. It's time for me to upgrade. I just don't have the title yet. There are NMs that I know the, the strongest NM right now is uh, he's some dude from Russia, but his FIDE rating is 2,500. He's already GM. He just needs to get the norms. That's it. He get the norms. He'll be GM that day. I mean, of course, you got to go towards the board, but when he uh, he has the, the board of uh, directors or whatever, but he will, as soon as he get his GM norms, that man is a GM, but he's an NM right now. And people are always like, how is he an NM? Because he just didn't get the norms. Yeah, you see the playing strength is there and don't let the title just tell you, this is why people see GM and think that they always going to lose. Now in the case, yeah, they are GM. They're extremely strong. But at the same time, it's just a title. And you need to remember you can play the board and you can beat this guy if you play great enough. Now, it, it depends on where you are in your chess career and where you are. But 
you can beat this guy too, basically. Me being an NM is like, that's why I'm like, I don't even care about a title no more. Unless it's IM or GM, I don't care about the title because I, I beat FMs, IMs, GMs every day. So me, you know, having the NM title, I don't even care about it anymore. So I just kind of brush it off when people say that. I don't even say anything. Or, you know, I, I professionally um, I tell them off in a way. I was like, yeah, you know what? Hey, man. And then sometimes people come to my stream and be like, why you got NM and your, name, your GM can't see your NM? And they really mad for some reason. And I'm like, wait, hey, you know, this is my goal first off. And I'm like, hey, you know, you probably don't have them any goals and that's okay. You, you know, you need <laughs> to have some. And I, you know, I say it very professionally. Like, I mean, you, you probably don't have any goals, but if you do, like how I have goals here that you, you want to put them in front of them, in front of you so that you actually have, you know, a greater chance of reaching them. And this is a goal for me as well and then sometimes i even tell them like you know you see my blitz rating you know there's a lot of gms that don't even have a blitz rating yeah. like this we should tell you something i'm not really an nm but at the same time that's just where i'm at right now because of circumstances at the time i wasn't able to fund for tournaments and do that and get to the tournaments i needed to get what i wanted now that i can i'm catching up you know catching up my uh my title is going to catch up very very soon so which is going to be nice for me yeah and of course i had that somewhere Ben Feingold, you know, your, your mentor almost, uh, I don't know if you would consider him that, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. I learned a lot. Of, I look up to him a lot. I learned a lot from Ben Feingold and yeah, he was an IM for a long time. He was, he was basically GM strength. He was GM strength. He was the number one in Michigan as an IM. I mean, now of course we didn't have any other GM strength, strong ones like that either, but he was over 2,500 feet a, you know, and he was an IM. So it was just a matter of time. You know, it's all about, you know, where they really playing at playing straight. Christopher, you, the young phenom right now, he 2,900 on blitz right now. There's very few GMs that are hitting 2,900. It's probably like a C. I always say that I make jokes like there's a secret list on chess.com of people that reach 2,900 and people that reach 3,000. Christopher, you is on that list. With that being said, you know, it says I am next to his name. It's him. And Min Lee are the strongest IMs probably on the planet right now because they just need their norms and that's it. And they'll be there. Actually, Christopher Yu is playing in the GM section um, two months from now in Charlotte. So he's already the number one in the GM section, which is crazy. Like he's an IM, but he's the number one right now. That's insane. Based off the seat rating and the ratings and stuff, he's number one that's in the GM section. It's insane, bro. It's just a matter of time for this kid to make GM. And it's the same for me. It's a matter of time. But like you said, it's a lot of work, PhD work. A lot of work. And once it's done, it's done. And then even then, you know, once you hit a goal, a lot of people like to relax, which is cool. I'm going to relax a little bit, but my next goal is going to be the first black 2700 fee day rated. So, you know, that's my next goal. Cause after you hit GM, yeah, you there, but you know, now you ain't super GM. So you keep going or you just going to be a GM that is weak after time because you are just chilling and you're not doing anything. You know, you will start to decline. There's many IMs, many GMs that, you know, went way below their FIDE rating. There's some IMs that's like 2,200 FIDE. And, bro, like you had to be 2,400. You dropped 200 points? That means you don't like it. You don't love it no more. You don't play no more. I will never be that person having an IM rating. I am title, but my, my FIDE rating is 2,200. Like, that's almost embarrassing. Almost. It just depends, <laughs> you know. But, like, in a way, like, dang, bro, you dropped a lot of points. You can, you know, anybody can hit you at that point, you know, so that's not where I want to be. So once I hit GM next, the next first black 2,700 feet day and then staying up there and then, you know, I want to be, you know, hit the top 10 or hit the top 20 eventually. If that's, you know, that's a, that's a goal you shoot for. I always tell people shoot for the moon. If you miss, you hit the stars. That's a quote that I learned a long time ago, but it's saying shoot big for your goals. So if you miss them, 
you uh, if I shoot for top 20, okay, I top 50 in the world. Not too mad, you know, not yeah. too mad about it. And you keep going from there. Although I will say, you know, I I know I know that's a pop pop smoke album too, but um mm-hmm. stars are farther away. So if anything you want to shoot for the stars and hopefully ah, okay. Yeah, it. I didn't even yeah, not me. Yeah, I'm not an astrology uh, star, nothing. I'm Star Wars, but don't know but nothing about the stars like that. So yeah, but that was the quote I remember. Shoot for the moon if you miss you hit the stars. I'm like, oh, that's fire. Okay, I got it you. It's fire. I it's objectively is right. fire. It makes yeah. sense, right? But I nobody actually probably knows that the stars are further from the moon yeah. yeah i don't think anybody knows that well actually i mean if you think about it because the stars are further away which is makes sense but yeah you get the picture i got you well mm-hmm. master jedi james it was so, uh honor and the privilege to gain your insight your your ambition is contagious uh i know i'm gonna be taking a lot of these thoughts into my head you know um as i'm trying it. to climb the rating ladder i'm trying to hit 2000 right now hey that's man my, it's very that's doable very yeah, doable, I think but, um, I think I'm there. I think I mean, yeah, your blitz rating is like 19 something. So, you know, or was that rapid? Rapid, rapid yeah. was 19. Yeah, yeah. So that's good. Like it's just gonna be a matter of time. Like usually I always tell people, especially two tactics wise, you can usually play, and this is a true statement if you really think about it. You can um play within 200 points, your strength wise. At certain times, that doesn't mean at all times, but at certain times, your strength can be within 200 points of your blitz of your tactics rating. So your tactics rating minus 3000. So sometimes I can see some 2800 level, you know, tactically or this plan or this and that. That's why I'm able to get a 2800 rated puzzle because I'm able to play at that level at certain times, certain positions you may be very comfortable with. So, you know, the higher your tactics ratings are getting, this is why, you know, I focused on nothing but tactics and like one or two openings. I didn't study much theory and got up to 2200. Then after I got 2,200, I started noticing, I remember even Frank Johnson, I mean, he sold me so much in chess. And I remember I used to live in Atlanta. He was like, yo, bro, you know, you keep beating me tactically. If you get your openings right, you're going to be on fire. And he said this a long time ago. And I was like 2,200 at the time. And I'm like, yeah, I guess you might be right. You know, I am beating you tactically. And my openings was not on point. So I start studying my openings. And then I won the under 2350 section or that, uh, or got second place, $20,000. I was like, yo, that's crazy how he said that. Fast forward, Nakamura is like, Hey, study openings. Then my GM coach study openings based off of where I'm at right now. Now that's not, that's where for me, people under me or under my rating will have to be doing what I did, which is 99% tactics, analyzing your games, have one opening for white and two for black. Meaning you have to respond to E4 and D4 and know it, know at least the first 10 to 15 moves of that or like, you know, something similar. So you get some good positions and play a lot, analyze your games, look at GM games until you get to 2200. Then you're going to focus on nothing, not nothing, but, but way more opening study. It's going to switch. You're going to do less tactics and more openings from there, because for me, tactics is my favorite, but I have to study more openings so I can get the tactics I want. I've already mastered the tactics. I'm at my, my tactics rating at 33,000 on, ta- on chess.com. I don't need to do more tactics. I mean, I do. I love tactics, but I need to do more work in other areas because tactics is obviously a strong point for me. You know, moral of the story, ladies and gentlemen, is study your openings. Yes. And uh, my <laughs> final question you have one opening that you recommend to somebody across all levels. What's that opening? That would be. Across all levels. Just, just think um, fast. Okay, C3 Sicilian. C3 Sicilian, because I have a course on it. C3 Sicilian for the kill is what I call it. So it's very solid, very easy. It's an offbeat way to play against the Sicilian. People don't know it that much, especially at the lower levels. They're not used to seeing C3. And where C3 can we get this favorite. course? 
Uh, you can get the course. You can actually just email me, but it's also um, you can um, you can go to my Twitch channel. And I usually I send it manually. So you can send, you can go to my Twitch channel and fill out the form there or you can use the command course in my um, in my Twitch chat and then you'll be able to see it in there. You could also reach out to me, Discord, Facebook, social media, Twitter, doesn't matter. Hey, can't you get the course? Cool. Perfect. I'm sending you the form. You fill it out and then send the PayPal and uh, it's still on sale. Like it literally it used to be 40. And then I'm like, you know, what, bro, like here, guys, y'all can just have it in a way. So I just I, now it's like twenty dollars. I put it on sale and it's been on sale for like months now. I mean, so that's it's cheaper like than most chessable courses too. twenty dollars. Absolutely, bro. And I have videos and I have I'm really kind of made it like chessable. Like I have videos for each one, but I actually follow what Levy does. Levy's a very smart marketer. I love his marketing. And even the person that does my thumbnails do his thumbnails or like I noticed that right? I was going to ask you yeah. that. I know I, I wasn't sure where to say that, but I was like like the thumbnail game i was just looking through your old videos like something yeah. changed here like you yeah. got this is like the the levy style that's right thumbnails. that's right that's right i started hitting her i was like yo and i saw his video i'm like bro who do these thumbnails and he was like this is my thumbnail maker and i'm like there you go hit her up and now she do all my thumbnails so i'm like doing that you know thumbnails is fire bro like the thumbnail game is, is strong there but and it's yeah. working too. I can tell you. I mean, just the algorithm. Like, even before I reached out to you, I just started to see some. You know, in in the sidebar, the you have like the Gadmator, Hikaru, Levy, <laughs> and I see James Canty there. Canty, so yeah, slowly but surely, and that's working. all that matters. You that's know? right. That's right, man. I'm excited. So thank you so much for joining me. I hope I'll have you again someday. And yeah, uh, man, just let me know. It's been a it's pleasure. Pleasure and being here. Yeah. 